Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by our newest patron, Laura L., Join Laura and the rest of the patron gang in supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman Podcast on Patreon. With your financial support of the Rural Woman Podcast, you ensure the inspiring stories of women in agriculture continue to be shared through your earbuds each and every week. Plus, as a patron of the Rural Woman Podcast, you get exclusive content, discounts, and more. To learn more, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll meet Renee Woods. Renee was born and raised on the East Coast and has always loved animals. She knew she wanted to dedicate her life to caring for them in some capacity. Her first job out of college was at a canine reproduction clinic. That's right, she spent her day making puppies. After a few years in reproduction, Renee transitioned into a general mixed animal medicine at a top AAHA accredited 24-hour veterinary hospital. There, goats and cattle were some of her favorite patients, and she knew one day that she would have a pasture full of her own. It wasn't until a few years later that an opportunity took Renee and her farmer's husband all the way to Colorado that she made her dreams of starting a farm a reality, and she has not looked back since. I'm very excited for you guys to meet Renee here on the podcast. I know a lot of you probably already follow her over on the Instagram and know how sweet she is, but you get to hear that today if you have not had the pleasure of meeting Renee yet. Before we get to her interview, we'll go over our listener review of the week. This week's review comes from Poking Car via Apple Podcast in Canada. This five-star rating and review is titled Fresh Air. Caitlin makes agriculture approachable to those new to it and those who grew up in it and need an extra push to become more involved. Her energy brings a breath of fresh air and her guests are other trailblazers. It's a must listen for women in agriculture to help inspire and share that we are not alone. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. If you are loving the show, I encourage you to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the show, and that helps other like-minded people listen and be able to discover the show. One quick thing I want to mention and say hello to my listeners all the way over in Zimbabwe. I've been looking at the charts of where there have been some major listening, and recently, Zimbabwe is a big listener of the Rural Woman podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in and hello. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Renee. Hi, Renee. How are you? Hi, Caitlin. How are you? I'm doing great today. I am doing so well. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this morning. I'm very excited to get to know you better, your story with the listeners. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Truthfully, I've been looking forward to this since we arranged on the special calendar. And I was most excited (laughs) to talk to you. You know, it's so funny to have these relationships and these friendships and connect Instagram and then to actually talk to the person that's behind the squares. 
right? It's really amazing. I'm so excited to do that today. I am too. I am too. I feel very similar. I was actually having a text messaging conversation with a good friend yesterday and we were texting back and forth. And I just said to him, I'm like, I must be the only millennial that really doesn't like texting. Like I would much rather have a phone conversation with people. And I have friends that are like, if they see the phone ringing, like they think something must be on fire. I'm like, no, I just would rather you than send a text message. So I don't know if that makes me old or whatever it is, but that's who I am. <laughs> I enjoy that. I feel like that is pretty rare because I'm actually like one of those lather friends that you're just describing <laughs> who like, so, oh gosh. Someone must be dead, you know, and then I'll answer, but usually I'm like, just text. So I'm definitely the opposite of that, but maybe it does fit because you're like the cat lady, you know, I feel like it works. Right. Exactly. It's, it's my old soul. (laughs) Yes. Which I love. (laughs) Uh, Well, enough about me and my crazy cat lady, old person tendencies, and let's talk more about you. (laughs) That sounds great. Tell us who you are and where you're from. So as all y'all know already, my name is Renee and I am a first generation female farmer and I decided to farm where most people probably wouldn't. I'm like on top of a mountain in Colorado. I'm at 10,000 feet and I raise cattle here and sheep and goats and poultry and then I'm most well known for my relationship and my passion with my livestock guardian dogs. And yeah, me and my farmer's husband, who live in the life up here, the altitude is going to take some getting used to, you know, coming from Connecticut, you know, we're we're definitely not <laughs> this high up in elevation. Um, so I was like out of breath and slightly asthmatic for like six months when we started, but you know, got to do anything else. And, you know, even realtors told me when we found this property, like, you're crazy, you can't have a farm here. And I'm one of those people who is just like okay, hold my beer. Like I can do this if you tell me I can't. So I think most farm girls are pretty stubborn like that. I think that comes with the territory. Like are from a farm or live on a farm, like stubbornness must be somewhere in your genetics for it to work out successfully. Oh, it has to be. It's so, so true. It's so true. So give us your your background, how you started an egg and how you got 10,000 feet up on a mountain today. Yeah, I would love to. So I actually, as you know, like I said, I was first generation. I, I never even saw my first livestock until I was in my 20s, believe it or not. My background is in medicine. I'm a registered veterinary nurse, but I also did some work at our local aquarium where I lived in Connecticut. So like marine mammal training and husbandry was something that I did. And I loved so people know in that aspect of my life are working with African black-footed penguins and also beluga whales. Who doesn't love whales, right? And so when I got my first veterinary job is when I met my first livestock. I saw my first cows and I was just smitten. I was like, oh my gosh, like, can I kiss them? Tell me about them. Like these poor farmers are looking at like this super enthusiastic, like 20-year-old, like city girl who's like, I just love these animals, you know, it was a learning curve. It really. Then, um, you know, I met sheep and goats and pigs and I was like, gosh, you know, I want to be able to care for animals in some capacity for my life. You know, that's what I want to do. And I knew that, you know, from the beginning, of course, going into veterinary medicine. And then I was like, I've always been so where my food comes from. Like, even as a child, like I remember, you know, my parents even saying like, Renee, you've got to eat this. Like, I'm yeah. like, well, where did it come from? And I just remember being super aware of that. And then when I realized that I could pair my passion for caring with animals and then knowing where my food came from, 
I was like, I'm going to have a farm one day. And I, I still remember the day that I came home and told my farmer's husband, who he actually does have a name. I know all y'all on Instagram just think that his name is farmer's husband, but it's Mark. And when I came home that day, I was like, Mark, we're going to have a farm someday. And, you know, he's known me since we were 16. We were high school sweethearts. So I don't think it was a complete shock to him because at that time we did have a house full of Newfoundland like we do now. And yeah, I told him we're going to do this one day. He was in full support of it, but he probably didn't know like to the extent that it would be right now, (laughs) but he was like, yes. And then before we knew it, we had this opportunity to come to Colorado and I was so hesitant. I'm like, my whole life was back home in Connecticut. I was working the same job forever. So they were like my family. And so I told Mark, I'm like, well, the only way you'll get me to go to Colorado is if I could start my farm. And so we came out here. We knew we didn't want to live on the prairie. You know, it's hot for Colorado, right? (laughs) I know most people will probably be like, it's really not that hot. (laughs) So I like melt if it's over 65. So, you know, it's hot down there. I was worried about rattlesnakes, which might be like a little bit of like irrational, but you know, you see animals get bit. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I just, I can't lose dogs that way or livestock that way. And also there's not a lot of trees or shade. So I was like, well, let's try the mountains. I know some people will have like horses up here. I was like, I can do this. It's really smart in where we put our structures to make sure that it works. I could be really smart with like fencing because of course fencing is never easy for anyone to do. Well, try doing it up here where there's granite everywhere. I mean, it was just cameras like crazy. We were hand chiseling. I mean, it's not easy. And, you know, like I said previously, like even our realtor, when we looked at this property, he's like, you can't do that. And I was like, watch me. So I was just smart to bring in the right animals for the train. And it's worked out really beautifully. And I'm so proud into what it is today. That is amazing. You've gone from penguins to like a full on farm. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Penguins are way scarier. Like there's warm weather <laughs> penguins. And old, yeah, it's so true. Like we had a sign that was like, beware of attack penguin. Like as soon as you walk into like the husbandry area. So there's like warm weather penguins and cold weather penguins. Cold weather penguins, most people know like the emperor penguins. They're all nice to each other because they rely on each other to survive. Not the warm weather penguins. They are they are <laughs> beast and savage. Like really, like you, they, and they would know, I don't even know how, because like, of course we all wore like the super fancy, like Jake from State Farm khakis with boots, right? <laughs> and khakis would be, yeah, you know the look. Yeah. And the, the khakis would have to be over your boots until you were actually on exhibit. And I swear, Caitlin, those penguins knew where your boot line was. They couldn't see it because I couldn't see it. And they would go right above and just grab your skin. Oh, oh my goodness. We could do yeah. a whole podcast episode about penguins. That's amazing. We could. <laughs> yeah, we definitely could. <laughs> so tell us about what livestock that you brought on to your farm. Yeah, so I started small, which I always, when everybody does, I know people are so excited just to add everything at once, but I started with poultry, but I was really careful to bring in poultry that I knew that would be cold hardy because obviously it's mostly winter. We get our first snow. Oh gosh. in like September, October, and then our last snow into June. So it's a long season. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that the poultry was cold hardy. And so I did bring in some lupus breeds. So that means that they are good layers but they also could be used for meat because I knew that I needed the, that layer of fat up here. So yeah, start with poultry. And then when I felt really secure with that program, I brought in goats and goats, as everybody knows, they do really well on rocky terrain. They actually 
prefer it. I mean, they have a playscape out here of boulders, you know, so they're built for this. And the breed I brought in is Nigerian dwarf goats, and I brought them in for dairy. I bought a different dairy goat milk, and Nigerian dwarf goat is definitely my favorite. So it's super high in butterfat and delicious. And then after goats, I started with sheep. And I brought in fleece sheep because it was important to me to have that carried a lot of wool, right, to stay warm in this climate. And now the goats are so smart, they actually will cuddle up to the sheep at night. <laughs> so I don't blame them. It's nice and warm. And then I moved into cattle. And I always knew that I want to have cattle from that first moment I was telling you about when I was my cow. And I decided on Highland cattle because I knew that they're great for foraging. You know, I actually, my pasture is very heavily wooded which is unusual and they thrive and they truly, truly do. And, you know, they have excellent feet. That was very important for me when I was purchasing my cattle, my foundation. And, you know, of course they have like the cutest bangs ever, right? I mean, I, my, I can never get bangs to look like that. So I don't even try and they carry this big coat. And so I don't have to worry about them. They absolutely do marvelous with our terrain, with the rock, with our slope. You know, they don't miss a beat up here. They, people mostly like to watch videos of them just running in the snow and the pastures. And that's what they're known for. I mean, they just love this area, care less about the rocks and everything. They just, they just do their thing. So yeah, it's important to pick the right breeds for where you are for sure. Well, totally. And especially in the climate that you are, if you had, let's say like an Angus beef cow, like they're going to be really cold in the winter, right? They're not having that extra coat on them. So I'm glad that you were able to find the breeds that work for you. And yes, watching the giant Muppets running through the fields is probably one of my tricks for Highland cattle to do because <laughs> they just look like big Muppets with all of their fancy hair. <laughs> they do. They do. It's like a runway all yes. the time. You know, the hair blowing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like you said, I could never get bangs to look like that. They look like supermodels. <laughs> They do. They do with no effort. (laughs) Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman Podcast merchandise, shout outs on the show, and more. Your financial support of the Rural Woman Podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. So being in Colorado and being in the mountains makes me instantly think of predators. So tell us about how you keep your safe. Yeah, so we are no strangers to predators. I mean, you name it, we have it. We know we have everything from like, kind of like the nuisance type predators, like weasels and raccoons and skunks, you know, all the way to like fox and bobcats. And then we also have ringtail cats, which you would probably want to own, Caitlin, because they're like super cute. So, (laughs) and then we also (laughs) use your cat. And then we also have mountain lions and bears. Um, We don't have grizzly bears, bears here in Colorado, coyotes. And then we do have wolves. I haven't seen any quite this up high on the mountain yet 
Colorado just actually passed legislation to do a wolf-free introduction. So we're going to see them very soon. And the way that I keep all lock protected, including me, <laughs> is my livestock guardian dogs. So I have a team of three livestock guardian dogs that I run here on the farm. And tell us more about them and how you kind of do raising them and training them to do what they needed to do for you. Yeah, sure. So I definitely knew when I moved up here that I was I needed something for predator proofing. And not everybody runs livestock guardian dogs, you know, for their lives was important because I understand the importance of living harmoniously with predators. You know, I'm not gonna be one of those people who see the predator and's like, Oh, I gotta shoot it because it's on my land. Or like I have to shoot up in the air and scare it off. I knew I didn't want to be that type of rancher. And most aren't because all of us are, you know, we love animals. That's why we do this. So I knew that I wanted to bring in something that would deter the predators from deciding that my farm was a really good place to hang out around. But thing also that I didn't have to use extreme force. So I knew livestock guardian dogs were the way to go. And actually, before I even brought home my first chicken, I started doing research on livestock guardian dogs and the different breeds. I started researching breeds around me because it was very important that I was from a breeder that was close by that could be a mentor for me because I was brand new. And I even remember when I started, I was so worried I was going to mess up Caitlin. You know, you hear this big responsibility of bringing home this little puppy that are up to protect your entire farm. I just felt so much pressure. And I knew with my background in dogs and also my background in training, you know, at the aquarium, like with the belugas, and I did occasionally work with like the stellar sea lions there, that training was my thing. And I felt very with it, but you still self-doubt yourself. So I ended up bringing in Marema sheepdogs. Um, I do have a Marema sheepdog, Great Pyrenees, crossed here as well, and he's wonderful. I always tell people whether or not you decide to go with a purebred dog or a purposely bred, that's completely up to you. They're all going to be able to do the job that you'd want them to do. And yeah, I run this team of three. And since I have even brought in my first livestock guardian dog, I haven't had a single loss to a predator at all. Do we still see predators around the farm? For sure. And those of you on Instagram have seen, like recently we had a black bear that was kind of hanging out by the back cattle pasture, just kind of watching things and the dogs are right on it. But you know, like I said, it's important for me to use something that's not going to be a lot. And that's what livestock guardian dogs are because they understand the importance of themselves not being injured because then it, you know, opens up this whole, you know, oh my gosh, like now the livestock is vulnerable. So they're going to use the least amount of pressure possible. You know, they're so incredibly sweet dogs. So a lot of having them here and having them warn bark is enough to keep predators away. I would say the most concerning predator up here is actually adolescent lions because they haven't experienced this to really understand when they should push and when they shouldn't. And they're usually more brave than we like to see, but you know, it's just something that you deal with when you live up here and you know, you, you move up here knowing that this is going to be something that you're going to be faced with. And sometimes they will push a little further, but like I said, the livestock guardian dogs are very smart and they'll only use the amount of pressure needed. So they haven't even had to make contact with one. It's their presence and their bark and their stance is enough to keep their back. I'm just like so fascinated by livestock guardian dogs. And because I know they are a big animal for a dog, but compared to a bear, like I, I would think if I was a bear, I wouldn't be as afraid of these dogs. But obviously, and their stance and everything is so intimidating to them that trying to go after a goat isn't worth it. 
Yeah, it's true. And honestly, with bears, I don't worry about them too much as predators because they're kind of lazy <laughs> and they want an easy meal, right? Right. So, you know, they're like these, they're big teddy bears, right? And like, you know, of course, you're going to get your nuisance bear that might not be as, it might not fall under this category, but typically they're more interested in like your feed bins than they are your animals. But yeah, I mean, it's all about understanding. Like a lot of people ask me like, well, how many livestock guardian dogs do I need for five acres? And I always tell them the amount of dogs that you run has little to nothing to do with your acreage and has everything to do with your predator load. So depending on what type of predators you have and how many you have around your farm will depend on how many livestock guardian dogs you should bring in. And like all you guys know, I've talked about the wolf reintroduction before on Instagram and also here. So in the next year, I'll be building up my livestock guardian dog team to five. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Going back to the bear thing, you made a comment that I can really relate to the bear. We're looking for an easy meal. I feel like I can uh, relate uh, to the bear. <laughs> Bears are my spirit animal as well. I'm, I'm sure they would like tacos. Right? I exactly. think tacos they would be a big fan of. Yes. <laughs> so for someone looking to get into livestock guardian dogs, some like basic advice that you could give to them. Yeah. So my first piece of advice kind of piggyback on what I had mentioned previously is do breed research. Either go with a purebred livestock guardian dog or a purposely bred. Tell people livestock guardian dog is not a title. So not every dog can be a livestock guardian dog. I always giggle a little when people, because everyone knows Burton, my clumber spaniel, like he's every Brit on Instagram. And People say, oh, is he one of the livestock guardian dogs? I'm like, no, he's a spaniel. You know, he is not, he doesn't fall under that category of livestock guardian dog. He would like make the most terrible livestock guardian dog, the cutest, but the most terrible. And so it's really important to do research and understand what breeds make up livestock dogs and what don't. Like a Newfoundland can't do it. A Bernice Mountain dog can't do it. People are trying to add St. Bernard into their breeding programs for livestock guardian dogs. That's so bad. Those are not livestock guardian dogs. So first is make sure that you are well-versed on what breeds make up livestock guardian dogs. So you're actually bringing in a dog that has been bred for centuries and centuries and centuries to do the job that you need them to do. Because it's such an important job. Not only is it an important job, but, you know, they take, gosh, two to three years to get them to the point where at maturity where you can actually truly trust them to do the job that you need them to do. So first, purebred or purposely bred livestock guardian dog. Second, Find a breeder who trust that you have a rapport with that is actually using their dogs to protect livestock. Bonus points if they're using them for the livestock that you have. Like many people are always coming to me saying, gosh, like I want a livestock guardian dog for chickens or my poultry and I just don't really where to start. And my best advice is to always find a breeder that is raising her livestock guardian dogs around poultry because the dog has already had a head start there. And like, I always talk to this point that, you know, livestock guardian dogs don't bond to poultry like they do hoofstock because they weren't originally bred to protect poultry. So that makes it most important. So you can find a breeder that has the stock that you have. Excellent. And good breeders will keep these puppies for 12 to 16 weeks. Early size, 16 weeks is ideal. So yeah, those would be my two biggest pieces of advice. Purchase reputably, find a reputable breeder. That's great. And you also offer consult looking for livestock guardian dogs. Can you tell the listeners about how they can go about booking these with you? Absolutely. And yes, I do. You know, livestock guardian dogs are my passion. And I see so many 
people start out and then, gosh, they either surrender them to rescue or they're just really just how livestock guardian dogs think and work and they give up on them or it becomes frustrating. And that's not a good journey. And then you get frustrated, your dog gets frustrated. So you can either send me a DM on Instagram and I can start the process that way. Or I do have a website, which is mountainwoods.com. And I actually have like a whole page about the consults and you can fill out a little form on there. If you decide not to do my form, then my email address is on there and you can shoot me an email that way and I'll get the process started for you. That's great. You are so when it comes to these dogs. I just think that like we could just pick your brain for hours about this. And I actually I have some bonus questions for you that we're going to do in our bonus Patreon episode. So I'm going to save those until the end. But uh, like I said, I could pick your brain for hours and all of the amazing benefits that they can bring to your farm. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. You know, I appreciate that. You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Rural Woman podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Marina writes, I decided to become a patron of the Rural Woman podcast because I felt a deep connection to all of these women. Being new to the agricultural world, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about other aspects of the egg world. This podcast opens my eyes to how women near and far grow and succeed in their roles. It makes me feel like I'm part of a bigger picture and I feel as if I have the support of all of these women as I support this podcast and in return, sharing their beautiful stories. Join Marina in supporting the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast starting at $2 a month on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more. Well, as a first generation farmer, what have been some of the most things that you have learned and challenges that you've faced? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, I always tell people like I learn from my mistakes, like most of us do, right? And I remember in the beginning, I was so like comparing myself to other people, and you know, unfortunately, you compare yourself to people that have been established for several several years, right? So I remember. I was comparing myself to others. I'm like, gosh, why am I having these problems and nobody else's? Or why is my goat, you know, going to try and get over this fence, but other people aren't having these issues with their goats and fencing. And I was so hard on myself, Caitlin. And then like, honestly, one day a light bulb went off where I'm like, I need to stop, number one, comparing myself to other people. And number two, I have to go easy on myself. With this, I have to cut myself some slack. As long as every single day you wake up, and you do the best that you know how, that's all you can ask for. And, you know, with every mistake or every F up that I made, I learned how I, one of the main reasons I joined Instagram a year and a half ago was to help other newbies, other new farmers, other new homesteaders, because I remember what it was like to start and I didn't have that support. And it's not because there weren't people in my life that wanted to support me. It's because I didn't know any others. So that, that would say would be my biggest challenge was myself. And me getting over my expectations of myself were, because I am a perfectionist, you know, I, oh, and you know, they first always, and as long as you keep that in your, you know, front and center to know that your animals are first, and as long as you're doing right by them, there's going to be mistakes along the way, but you're trying your hardest and you have to cut yourself some slack. Totally. And I think that's good advice for any generation of farmer. Yeah. I think there's 
a little perfectionism in all of us and just knowing that you're going to screw up and it's going to be okay, but just try your best anyways. And as long as your animals are happy and healthy, that's all that convicted of you. For sure. And tomorrow's a new day. Yes. And I, I love this quote that I, I read this quote like six years ago, like around right around the time where I started farming up here that said, yesterday was heavy, put it down. And I live by that. So whatever happened yesterday, I'm not going to carry that into the next day. And I think that's so important. That's so good. I get, I have misty eyes when you say that. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like that. So much yes. So much so yes. Much yes. <laughs> I think that's what they say on the interweb. So much yes with the praise hands. <laughs> I also love another tagline that you use on your website and on your invitations. It says, we are not farmers. We are not farmers' wives. We are not farmers' daughters. We are farmers. And I love that. I love that. Why is that quote so important for you to use? Yeah, I read that quote on women who farm. I got I internalized that so much because, I, Caitlin, one of my first experiences, like going out and doing my first farmer thing, was I had to go to a local store and I was picking. I was picking out fencing. I was there by myself, and I remember I was in the fencing section outside, and one of the workers came over. And he kind of looked like Santa, but I loved him already. I was like, this is going to be good. And, you know, he was like in his 60s, jolly, and I enjoyed him. And he came up, he's like, he's like, sweetheart, do you need help? And like, first, I, I, I hate that. Like, don't call me sweetheart. <laughs> I'm like one of those people. So he's like, do you need help? I'm like, no, I'm all set. I'm like, I got this. He's like, oh, it's down. Oh. So that was my first experience, really, that people automatically assume when you're going and looking at like farm things or machinery. Cause I even got a similar response when we were looking at Trevor and I was there by myself and the gentleman was like, would you even know what kind of oil to put in? Like, and I don't, or, or he said, he said that and then he said, yeah. And then he said something like, Oh, so your husband set you on. Are you going to send him to Joanne Fabrics? <gasps> no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no. So that quote to me means so much because I, I literally want to like tattoo it on my forehead. And you all know I love tattoos. I have so many. But like, I want to put it on my forehead. Like, we are not farmers' wives. We are not farmers' daughters. We are farmers. Like, we are just as capable. We can do this. And like, stop doubting us. It's such, like an old school, like mountain man mentality up here. But I have gotten some pushback from people who are like, oh, that's cute that you get to hug animals. I'm like, I do so much more than that. Like, you don't even know. And, you know, people just assume like we're like, and we are like the nurturing. I think, you know, that's an all, especially the women. Like we're caring, we're maternal. But gosh, give me any job that a male farmer does and I could do it. And I will do it just as well. That, like, it just makes me cringe to think that of 2020, like these conversations are still happening. And like, I know the value of teamwork. And if you are married to a farmer, then I also view you as a farmer because I don't care if you're on the tractor, if you're sorting cattle or you're in the kitchen making their meal, like you are just as valuable and important. Yeah. And whatever title that you give yourself should be respected. <laughs> And I don't care if self as a farmer's wife, that's great. Like, I think 
use that title and wear it proudly. But at the same time, like if you call yourself a farmer and you view yourself as a farmer, then God damn it, you're a farmer. I agree with that 1 million percent. And actually like, I know that people call Mark my farmer's husband, but that was a little bit of a pun in the beginning because I did get pushed back. And even like when we meet new people, you know, in social groups, not now, right, COVID, but people are like, oh, is he the farmer and you're you're the wife? I'm like, well, I'm the farmer and he's my farmer's husband. You know, I guess people, they kind of like stop for a second because they haven't heard that term before. And, you know, I just felt it was so important to say it doesn't have to be the way that everyone pictures a farm to be. Like even kids' books, Caitlin's like, all the men are farmers in kids' books. I was like, you're serious. I'm going to write some kid books. It'll be about Daphne and May Day, and there'll be a female farmer. You know, it's so important. Like, we all can do it. We all can. I will be the first one to purchase all of those books because it's funny that you mentioned this. <laughs> Yesterday, we socially distanced, dropped off a gift for my nephew for his first birthday, and it was a little farm puzzle. And the farmer in the puzzle obviously was a male. And it was just like, ugh. And then they were like, it's Uncle Justin on the puzzle. And it's just like, well, where's Auntie Caitlin on this puzzle, right? Like, there's nothing there. Yeah. So, and I just like, it's funny and also funny because I think two years ago now for our niece for Christmas, they came out with farmer and I just thought that was kick ass. And it's just like, let's continue this trend that women can be whatever profession that they want to be. Like it is not a male dominated industry. I know tons of females that arm full time while their husbands work off of the farm or vice versa. And, you know, they're still just as valuable to the operation as anybody else. Absolutely. I think we'll get there, Caitlin, because even in the veterinary field when I started, it was a very man-powered forward field. And now we're seeing more and more women. Actually, the practice that I worked in had more women veterinarians than men, but that's not how it always was. And I think we're starting to see that kind of like revolution in farming as well. It's more accepted, but of course, you know, it, it takes a little bit for people to kind of get over like what they believe you know, a farm should look like just what people believe a family should look like, you know? Absolutely. So it's, it's about us and us educating and going out there and being like, yeah, he's my farmer's husband and I'm the beef farmer. And yes, everything that every other farmer could do and everyone else could do that too. Absolutely. You're a rock star. I just love that. Oh, you're you the best. The farmer. That's so good. <laughs> Thank you. So you, along with some other amazing farmers, have just started a new fun podcast. Tell the listeners all about it. Oh, gosh. I'm so excited about this. Yeah, so it's called the Definitely Not Simple Life Podcast because people are like, they like to call farming and homesteading the simple life. And I'm like, have any of y'all actually farmed or homesteaded? Because it's definitely <laughs> not the simple life. Right. So the name of the podcast, Angela thought of right away. And it was like, I think Mandy and I heard it. And we're like, yes, like we can't, let's not even entertain another name. That's perfect. Yeah. So it's myself, Angela, who's at Axon Root Homestead on Instagram. And then Mandy, who on, on Instagram. And yeah, it was Angela's idea. And she came to Mandy and myself and she's like, all right, listen, ladies. I know that all of us like to, you know, educate and inspire on Instagram. I think there's really something missing in the podcast world where it could be like educational, like talking with friends about certain farming and homesteading topics. Are you guys on board? I think it took me like 1.2 seconds. And the delay was I was running around clapping. And then I said, yes, absolutely. And Mandy, same thing. She's like 1 million percent. Sign me up. And so we're like, okay, we have no idea what we're doing, but let's do this. So yeah, we did a pilot episode kind of explaining 
what the podcast is about, how we love to help other people. And that's really what the foundation is. And then, yeah, we just finished our second episode, which will air this coming Friday, which is really exciting. Yeah, we're having a blast doing it. And of course, like there's a lot, a huge learning curve, like me and technology, not, not the best of friends. So I'm, I'm learning fast and hard, but we are so able to give this opportunity to others for people just to listen. You understand, Caitlin, you have a podcast too. Like people love to listen. They love to laugh along. They love to relate. But most importantly, it's so nice, I think, for people just to hear us have probably all together almost 20 years of farming experience or homestay experience. Be like, oh gosh, yes. Like we remember when we started out and we did this and that didn't work for us, but this works now. And I think it's just like humbling to hear and inspiring because people are like, well, gosh, they started out that we did and look at it. Like they're, look at what they built now. Like I could do this too. And that's the feedback we're getting from people is they're like, you know, I was hesitant to get into this, but now like listening to you, like, I'm like, I could do it. That is so good. And like you said, like people just want to find others that they can to. And especially in 2020, where we've all been by ourselves and locked up. And it's just nice to hear that there's others out there just like us that are learning and living this way of life. Right? And I am looking forward to your next episode that comes out. I think I love all of you guys. So it is it's so great to have Aww. other other women in podcasting and in agriculture just sharing their stories as you communicating and having all of the fun. So that's so great. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to have your support. Of course. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Somebody had sent me an email. They're like, I just want your blessing to start this podcast. I'm like, I wasn't the first one to ask of women in agriculture. So keep on going. <laughs> Listen, we're all in this together, right? I mean, we Absolutely. We support one another. We encourage one another. You know, at the end of the day, we're all in this together. Yes. Totally. And like we live lifestyles that are not, you know, quote unquote normal to the outside world, right? Like we live ways and we live in seasons and like our our lives are just not quote unquote normal. Okay, this because we came from outside of agriculture coming into it. So we see the yeah. discrepancies and we see the differences. And so the more of us that are in this together and supporting one another and not being negative Nellies for like how one another farm or ranch or homestead, like we just need to learn from one another and embrace this lifestyle altogether. Absolutely. I could not agree with that anymore. Yes. Renee, it has been so lovely chatting with you this morning. So happy that connect. My last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Honestly, this might sound super cheesy, but I am going to go back to social media platform. I did not want to join Instagram because as I said before, I am not really great with technology. And I was like, oh gosh, like I don't even know how this works. But truthfully, the best part of farming for me has been able to share little bits and pieces of my day and being able to connect and have lifelong relationships and really finding, quote unquote, my tribe, right? It's, it could be really isolating to be a female farmer or to even be a farmer at all, especially in an area where I'm not in a farming community at all. I don't really know any other farmers, but to meet like-minded people in this community who have been so uplifting and so encouraging has really been incredible. And then on top of that, like I had like, I was like, if I get 100 followers, I'm going to just die. Like 100 people listen to me. And like, I can't believe that 
my account has grown to where it is. And I try not to think about it too much because I don't want to get nervous about like posting every day because I'm just mean. I'm just authentic. But to have that many people follow my journey along and support me every step of the way and encourage me every step of the way. And like some of the that I get daily, Caitlin, like truly, I know you were getting teary eyed or like put it down. Yesterday it was heavy. I feel that way on a daily basis. Some of these DMs that I get from people touch my heart and my soul in ways that I can't even describe. So for me, it's been the best part is shift style, showing people that you can do anything that you want to put your mind to and really giving that gift to other people. That has been the best and most rewarding part for me. That is so good. And like you said, being authentically you and sharing that with people and getting the response that you do, I think that's that's where, you know, the tears come in because it's just like you're not showing up as anybody else but yourself and people are connecting with you and sharing their stories and their advice and all of the things. And those that's a big compliment to you and showing up as your authentic self. So keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I know people ask Mark when they see him in public the same as she is on Instagram. He's like, <laughs> oh, for sure. She's better. <laughs> and he, I, I feel like maybe he's saying this because he get one's bonus points, but he always says she's way better, but she cusses more. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Well, Renee, who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? So I do have a website. Like I said, it's mountainwoodsfarm.com. I also do have a farm page on this Mountainwoods farm. But I'm most active on Instagram and my handle there is Mountainwood Farm. So it's not very hard to find me and to track me down. But yeah, that's where you can find me if you'd like to say hello. And follow all of you and all of the wonderful cute critters that you have on the farm. That's right. (laughs) I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. We need to do this again. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. Starting in January 2021, you can hear bonus content from this interview as well as others over on Patreon. Joining and supporting sharing the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast just got better. Starting at the $10 a month tier or higher, You get bonus episodes, exclusive content, discounts, merchandise, and more. Don't forget, you can join the patron gang over on Patreon from now until December 31st, 2020, and be entered to win a Google Nest Mini, where you can listen to all of your favorite episodes of the Royal Woman podcast. To learn more, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. Friends, thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast. I am signing off for the rest of 2020, and I will be back in the new year with brand new episodes coming through your earbuds. So I want to quickly wish you all a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. And thank you again for your continued support of the podcast. We will see you back here real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.